my weight never changes. For pretty much all my adult life, I've looked down at the same small range of numbers on the bathroom scales. Sometimes I stare in frustration because I want to lose a few pounds. Sometimes it's a pleasant surprise that I've not added a few. But either way, nothing much ever changes. I recognize that some of this may be due to my own reaction to the message of the scales. After a particularly gluttonous holiday season, I may run a bit more and eat a bit less. If, on the other hand, I exercise too much, I turn ravenously hungry with predictable results. However, science also tells us that there are subconscious forces regulating weight. Your metabolism slows when you diet and speeds up when you binge. Over and above your own deliberate actions, natural forces tend to keep your weight in balance. Much the same could be said of inflation in recent decades. On Wednesday at 8.30am, the Bureau of Labour Statistics will release the October CPI report. In theory, it should be one of the most highly anticipated economic events of the month. After all, low and steady inflation has been the foundation of historic rallies in both the stock and bond markets. For the record, the key number to watch is core CPI, that is consumer prices excluding food and energy. That statistic will most likely come in at up two-tenths of a percent month over month and up 2.4% year over year. This should translate to a core consumption deflator reading of up 1.7% year over year for October, still a little bit below the Fed's 2% target. When the CPI report comes out, it will probably be met with yawns. The truth is American inflation has been in a low and steady corridor for a generation. Since January of 1996, the year-over-year core CPI inflation rate has never been above 3.0%, nor, for all the worry about deflation, has it ever fallen below 0.6%. This begs three important questions. One, why hasn't inflation been higher? Two, why hasn't inflation been lower? And three, will inflation ever break out of its benign corridor? On the first question, the most important reasons for low inflation are greater competition and a lack of aggregate demand. The increase in competition reflects to some extent rising international trade and diminished unionization. In 1970, the sum of nominal exports and imports equaled 11% of US GDP. By 2011, that had risen to 31%, although it has since fallen back to 26%, reflecting in part the impact of the trade war. Global competition from cheaper overseas suppliers has undoubtedly restrained both U.S. prices and wages. In addition, in 1983, over 20% of American workers were members of unions. In 2018, that number had fallen to 10.5%, and this has also likely reduced cost pressure on American businesses. However, a more pervasive, although less measurable, trend has been the impact of information technology on consumer prices. Online pricing makes it very easy for consumers and businesses to identify the cheapest deal available. For consumers, this has lowered the cost of taking out a mortgage, buying a car, booking airline travel, or buying a new shirt. For businesses, it has reduced the cost of stocking the shelves. This has had a crushing effect on prices in any industry where buyers have genuine choices and can see what they're buying. A second inflation sedative has been a lack of aggregate demand. In theory, the production of goods and services generates the income used to buy them. In economics, this is what's called the circular flow of income. However, rising income inequality in recent decades has meant that an increasing share of income has ended up in the hands of the richest American households, who have a greater than average propensity to save, rather than spend, income. This has simultaneously funneled money towards financial assets and away from consumer goods and services, contributing to dramatic gains in stock and bond prices in a low-inflation, low-growth economy. But given all of this, 
It's also worth asking why core CPI inflation has not turned negative. Part of the answer may, of course, be timely policy responses to economic downturns. In each of the last three recessions, the federal government has countered economic weakness through fiscal stimulus measures such as extended unemployment benefits and lower income tax withholding. In addition, with the exception of a short period during the last downturn, the risk of a prolonged depression has always seemed low, discouraging sellers from dramatic price reductions. And, as Fed officials have often pointed out, inflation expectations tend to be sticky and feedback to drive overall inflation. If you expect inflation of 2% over the next year, you may well raise your prices by 2%. However, the single biggest protection against negative inflation is probably sticky wages. Despite multiple recessions, including two very big ones in the early 1980s and the late 2000s, the wages of production non-supervisory workers have always posted a year-over-year gain. While some industries can see sharp cuts in bonuses from time to time, it's very hard for management to tell workers that their base pay has been cut or for workers to accept such a possibility. Wage growth does dip in the aftermath of a recession as businesses take advantage of a weak job market and fell to just 1.2% year-over-year in October 2012. However, it has not gone negative over at least the last 55 years for which we've got good monthly data. This helps hold inflation positive in two ways. First of all, it contributes to an increase in costs for businesses, which they try to pass on to their customers. Second, it provides income to consumers broadly, fueling the demand for goods and services. Finally, is there anything that could cause inflation to break out of its corridor? Despite central bank worries, it's hard to see a short-term path to outright deflation. Wage growth for production non-supervisory workers in October was 3.5% year-over-year, and with relatively low productivity growth, this should feed through to higher prices for goods and particularly services. A sharp rise in the dollar or an outright global recession could lead to some imported deflation. However, trade tensions appear to be waning rather than rising, which should in time lead to a lower dollar and stronger overseas growth. Nor in a slow-growing US economy does rising inflation appear to be an immediate threat. However, it's worth noting that while competitive trends are likely irreversible, forces impacting aggregate demand could potentially change. In particular, big increases in government spending or lower taxes on lower and middle income consumers could boost aggregate demand, leading to some inflation. Moreover, if inflation did begin to rise more quickly, huge holdings of currency and cash in short-term accounts by both households and businesses could act as an accelerant. In periods of high inflation in the past, both in the US and overseas, prices have actually grown faster than the money supply, as consumers, worried about money losing value, try to spend it at an accelerated pace. If this were to occur, the significant inflation that America has avoided for a generation could finally return. On Wednesday, Jay Powell will testify to Congress on the state of the economy, and he will likely once again characterize inflation as low and stable. In the short run, it is likely to remain so. As the season of Christmas cake and mince pies approaches, I need to remind myself that it is possible to put on more than a few pounds. And in the long run, both investors and policymakers would do well to remember that inflation can still rise as well as fall. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver.
Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.